you want um, your name. I'm doing it just like my first book. So I'm interviewing people, changing names and, and doing all those things. So you let me know if you want a different name. Um, definitely though, I want to ask about your background and things like that. And I'm good. Okay. Yeah. Mostly everybody's been like, I'm fine. <laughs> so I'd love to hear a little bit about your background. All right. So I'm Reverend Sandy Rogers, born LaSandra Armstead. And there were a lot of people in elementary school that could not pronounce LaSandra. And they are the ones that coined the nickname Sandy. It was actually Santy, S-A-N-T-Y. And uh, so I've been with that uh, name for quite a while. In 1961, at the age of 11, well, actually I was 10 because I had not reached my 11th birthday, my brother and I having discussions, understanding we come from Watts, you know, and so for us to even be having these discussion or this, this topic as a discussion was quite unusual because it was not, <laughs> it was not a part of what people would be talking about in Watts, the ghetto. And we decided that there was just something in the air, in, mm -hmm. our, in our consciousness that wasn't benefiting us mm -hmm. and that we had the power to do something about. So we began having conversations with our friends and things like that. Uh, and there must have been at least 80 young people that came together and agreed with us. Mm. And uh, thus the birth of the Student Committee for Improvement in Watts, nicknamed SKIFU, mm. which is the acronym. And I tell you, we were so powerful in Watts, um, our activities, our shifting mindsets, our taking pride in where we lived and the others, the people around us, our neighbors and friends and family and things like that. And we had a sponsor who was very active in <clears throat> the work that we were doing and made sure that she presented us with additional um, opportunities to network with other cultures. And so we did exchanges uh, with predominantly rich white neighborhoods and things like that. The work that we were doing, we helped elders fix up their homes, yard work. We cleaned streets. We petitioned business owners on 103rd, which was the main um, thoroughfare for Watts. And to those that were dilapidated and boarded up, we demanded that they clean their property up and bring it up to standards or sell it or something, but we would no longer allow those dilapidated buildings to be present on um, the main street within our community. We, we, we went to City Hall, it was under Tom uh, Bradley's administration, and demanded that they cite those businesses and have them to clean up their uh, establishments, right? 
And we got laughed out of there. Like, you kids, go on. Do something else with your time and leave mm. us alone. So they said, well, if you come back with, I believe it was 2,000. It may have been more than that. If you come back with 2,000 signatures, perhaps we'll take a look at it. But we came back with like 10,000 signatures and they were just floored. You know, they were like, oh my God, you guys are serious. And so from that point forward, you know, we were uh, a group to be reckoned with, to be um, taken serious and knew that we were about uh, business. And um, I personally and several of the other members of the group feel that because our work was so positive in creating change within the community of Watts, which was no was not called community, it was called ghetto, right? That the Watts riot erupted. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It was so powerful. It was it was dynamic, you know? Wow. And um like at, at the end of that project with cleaning people's homes and things, we had a um, a celebration in the streets over by the Watts Towers. And uh, we called it Dancing in the Streets. That was Martha and the Vandellas. Music was out at the time. And just, you know, like everybody, everybody was uh, into that whole community empowerment personal empowerment and development and so that's 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 the beginning of my life mm. yeah and how old were you again 11 10 going into 11 yeah so yeah. how did that and how did that lead to the watts uprising in your opinion you know, a, a lot of the a lot of the uprisings that happen in our community are not started by us. Right. It started by people from the outside wanting to oh, infiltrate, yes. ignite. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Yeah. I see. We wouldn't have done that to our own community. We had just come through this period of community pride and empowerment yeah. and upliftment, right? So I why see. would we then turn around and try to burn the thing down? It just, you know, it didn't make sense. So I see. I see. So that was the beginning. Yes. Of your activism. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so when it comes to high demand religions, I want to give you a couple of definitions that I've come across. Okay. So it says a high demand, high control religion is a faith community that requires obedience, discourages its members from questioning its rules, principles, and practices, expecting subservience and loyalty, discouraging trusting relationships outside the group. So is this something you've seen? Have you basically been like in one religious sect or did you like, because I've gone through several <laughs> Um, and have been in contact with a few high demand religions myself. So um, is that something that you've seen? I have. And mm -hmm. I too have participated and served in leadership positions in several mm, denominations. Mm -hmm. uh, so Science of Mind, um, Disciples of Christ, Baptists, uh, New Thought, AME, uh, Muslim, Seven Day Adventist, 
Catholic. Some were just enough. Um, and what's the other one? Hold on, hold on, hold on. God dog it. Because it's the one that that's most interesting to me. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, but I'll think of it. We'll we can okay. keep talking. Okay, um, okay. Yeah. And so it's interesting. This question is very interesting because mm. it's mostly appropriate in all the religions, you know, that uh, if you don't believe what we believe, then you're going to burn and go to hell, you know? Uh, and I think that that's so, hmm, so inappropriate by what the, the teachings are from the pulpit, right? Yeah. Like we're teaching love and acceptance and we're all this one big family but at the same time if a person comes with a an independent thought or consciousness you know they're they're you need to take classes <laughs> mm. you need to see what we believe in and I'm like wow you know that just kind of say that I'm thinking incorrectly and that my thoughts are not important or they don't fit in to the scheme of things so I find um, that very disheartening and uh, it does serve as a put down to people and a disempowerment of mm. a person's independent thought, you know, so Kojic, that's the, the that's other. yeah, yeah. So with them, I uh, was when I was working within the HIV and AIDS community. Okay. I had developed this program and, you know, getting churches to buy into uh, conducting these awareness uh, groups at the different churches, right? And so they were interested in doing the program. And the young man that I was working with asked me the what I come on staff with them, you know, when I joined the church. And I'm like, no, I say, y'all too restrictive. You know, a person can't think, they can't be themselves, they got to think just like you. And so, no, let me just stay where I am. I appreciate the opportunity. I say, because a lot of the things that you guys think are appropriate are not to me. And he's like, you know what? I think the same thing. <laughs> People who don't know about Kojic, because Kojic was somewhat something that I didn't know about until I think I was living in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. To, uh, tell people what the acronym stands for and what some of their beliefs are. What is it? Um, Church of, I'll have to look it up real quick. God in something, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't, I don't. Uh, oh, Church of God, Church in, of God in Christ. In Christ. Mm -hmm. So it says it's a, Protestant Christian denomination uh -huh. uh, founded in 1897 as a holiness church. Uh -huh. And then they came back around in 1907 uh, as a Pentecostal church. Uh -huh. And I think that may be that other part of it that causes it to be so staunch in their beliefs, you know? Kojic, I think you have to wear skirts, right? It's one of those, you can't cut your hair. It probably is. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I, I, that was one I did not study with. I uh -huh. just had developed a program and was, um, but there was, I, I did go to a holy, holiness church. Okay. I have all kinds of experiences, right? I want to hear whatever you want to share. 
And uh, this young lady invited me to go. And I was like, sure, you know, I'm always curious about what's going on. And so I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm at the time, I'm heavily involved in Hillside, which is a new thought church. And the request from the person in charge, and I'm not sure if it's pastor, reverend, what his title was, um, was for us to be in prayer. So I go into that Zen stage, you know, and I'm just like, and he comes and taps me on the shoulder. Like, you need to get up. I'm like, get up for what? Because when we pray, we up and we doing this and that and that, you know, and playing the music and clapping our hands. I'm like, but this is my style of praying. No, you can't sit down. And the friend that I came with, she was just like, get up, get up. And I'm like, I wish you would have told me this before I came in here because I wouldn't have come, you know? Right. I thought that was so disrespectful. Right. Especially um, coming from Hillside. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And I was just going to say, you know, for me, he had no respect as to how I worshiped. And I think that should be such an important inclusion as people uh, attend and visit with these different churches that people are not so set in their ways about what you think and, and like you say, how you dress and all of that. If you're welcoming of everyone, mm -hmm. then you're welcoming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember in LA where I was in um, actively involved with the first AME church uh, Cecil Murray was the the pastor at that time. I that man, I I loved him more than anything. He was mm -hmm. the first active pastor that I had worked with that believed in making sure the community was served. So once a month, the experts, be it attorneys, lawyers, whatever their uh, expertise was, would provide free services once a month for an hour after church. He then got a group of people and we were out in the community on, on uh, down in the homeless section in Skid Row feeding people. He established apartments uh, within mm. a mile radius is actually was the next street over from where the church was located to house people. And he built a credit union and, you know, the, the children had scholarships and mentors that helped them through their scholastics. And it was just, you know, he was just always looking for something else to elevate the community. Mm. And one of the lessons he would teach every couple of years Around Christmas time, he would have someone come that was not a member, dressed in raggedy clothes, and they may have had an offensive body odor, and he would sit them in the congregation. And he built his sermon around those that would you know, turn their nose up at this person mm -hmm. and not welcome them and not speak to them. Mm -hmm. so it was so powerful. It mm -hmm. was so powerful. And that was the only, well, there was another church, but that church, it was huge though. I mean, this was a mega church in LA, you know, mm -hmm. but he understood his role was in serving people 
and helping those up under him, his congregation, to respect and honor anyone that walked through that door. Mm. And do you, were you always a spiritual child? Obviously you were always an activist, but were you always touched and led by spirit? Hmm. I don't know is how Mm. I'm going to answer that. Mm. We went to uh, this one church in LA and the pastor was doing some illegal things with children. Mm-hmm. And my mom pulled us out of the church mm-hmm. and we never went back. Mm. So it wasn't until my, I guess actually after I got out of high school that, you know, I started going back into the churches and, um, and really getting actively involved. And so what, I, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I know that I've had this in intuitive nature about me. Mm-hmm. for as long as far back as I can remember okay. now if we call intuitiveness spiritual then yes okay got it and so what you talked about a natural curiosity but what else attracted you to a religion that might have been highly restrictive like what t- brought you to that group to any particular group or yeah, so when you when you think about your experiences, were there some that were more demanding than others? Perhaps I was looking for an explanation to the injustices, mm. the hatred the um the unrest the killings that were happening and obviously and the drugs that were in our community why were we so singled out hmm. why was dr martin luther king jr killed assassinated why were those that wanted to bring peace into the world were being killed, you know, and their lives cut short? Was it because they were bringing something positive? So I wanted to see what the message was. Mm-hmm. You know? So let me find out what's going on. And that's why the different experiences with the different religions. So perhaps, you know, I can, I can bind all of that into one capsule. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And do you think when you think about recruitment, right, into these organizations, do you think that, uh, so you talk about why you came into it. And at this point, I mean, I don't even know how many people you've touched, like in churches and things like that. But what what do you think um, the recruitment is like for other people? You know, how do other people become involved from what you've seen? I think it starts in childhood because their parents were raised from their grandparents and great-grandparents and further back on up the line that we had to go to church. Mm -hmm. That was a duty. Mm -hmm. I remember my grandmother uh, saying, and I think that's why uh, my mom may have left. But my grandmother would say, I work five days a week. 
I do my house chores on Saturday and on Sunday, I'm going to church. That's my obligation. She never missed. She never missed. She would get dressed up, you know, in, in her Sunday go to meeting clothes, you know, and just a beautiful, beautiful person had a beautiful spirit about her was always of service to the, um, the community in which she lived, but she didn't miss church, yeah. you know? And so if you have that and it's passed down generationally, then you just go without a consciousness, without an understanding, mm. you go out of obligation because that's what everybody else did. I'm reading a book right now from an author and uh, she tells about these wounds mm -hmm. that she experienced in all these different churches that she's been a part of. And my thing is like, so why do you keep going? Mm -hmm. You know, why are you keep setting yourself up <laughs> for whew, the pain and the, the wounds it's because she was raised, obviously, with that, that is part of what you've got to do. You have no choice. So you keep looking for one that's, I'm going to call it tainted. I'm a, you keep right. looking for one that's untainted. Right. One that represents the, the true nature of God. Right, right. And so one of the things, even in my first book that I talked about was the role of religion in domestic violence mm -hmm. situations. And I was thinking about it more of what you were talking about, the obligation and things like that. But now with this project, I'm actually looking at different tactics and how some of the tactics are similar to abusive relationships. What are some of the tactics that you've seen that people actually use to like keep people in control? You already talked about like telling you how to like, you got to stand, telling you how to pray. What are some other tactics you think that people have used hmm. or that were used on you? Now, great question. I had a short fuse and I always have. So <laughs> some of those tactics didn't work, but that's okay. Um, so we have, again, starting with that obligation. Yeah. And then one of the first questions when you're talking to someone new is what church do you go to? What, uh, branch do you affiliate with? And that, that creates separation depending on who you're talking to, right? Because if you're not Muslim per se, then you can't participate in the various uh, beliefs that they have. I remember I met this brother and I thought he was really a nice guy, right? So we mm -hmm. go out to coffee on our first date and I'm asking him different questions, you know, like what are your beliefs in, in this and that? He's like, well, I gotta ask the, the minister. So now I ask him another and he'll say, well, I got to ask the minister. And I was like, well, don't you have any personal um, thoughts on this particular subject? It was something simple, you know, just really, really simple. And uh, he got angry with me because I was questioning 
That's what he said. I was questioning his belief. I'm like, no, I'm questioning you. It has nothing to do with your belief, you know, but some people are, are inseparable from uh, their religious uh, beliefs than they are from their own personal. So it is about being a part, like these mega churches, you know, um, you got to belong because when you do, then then you're a part of the uh, the in crowd is what we used to call it. So like you're part of the influencing community mm -hmm. if you belong belong to these different churches, right? Or these different denominations. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of that going on all the time where, um, you know, I belong, I'm not going to call any names, but I belong to this church and we're doing all of this stuff. And well, yeah, you know, my pastor, he's um, big on economic development and uh, about being successful financially, economic freedom, you know, and all of like that. And so when they use those type of words in that type of, of an approach, someone that doesn't have, right, is going to go to that church hoping that they're going to learn these, these tools, these means by increasing their financial uh, life or their financial status. Mm. And they go and they stay and they stay because they want this uh, prosperity treatment, you know, that whoever got them into church or whatever they heard on the radio or something, you know, that they will go and be able to partake of that knowledge and apply it to their life. So the churches pray on what they know people truly, truly want. And I believe that comes from their teachings in uh, theology. Uh, the theological institutions, I believe, I may be wrong, but I believe somewhere in that whole cycle, there is something taught about the the societal brain um, and, and you know, where people, yeah, yeah, where people are hurting the most and apply to that, you know, like gear your sermons toward that. That's my thinking. I love that. And today... Uh, I mean, and you're making me think about, yeah, today, what they call it is pain points mm -hmm. and they're trying to sell certain things or like find people's pain points. So in this book I'm reading um, about cults, it talks about part of, um, and I want to go back to the in crowd as well, but okay. um, this person was a leader, became a, wound up becoming a leader in the Moonies. And he talks about in his recruitment, they would teach you that the to break personalities down into four points doers thinkers feelers and believers and based on what a person is assessed that's how you would go to them so if with doers you would stress like you're saying my church feeds the hungry they do this they do that if they're believers then you tap into your, their spiritual beliefs. But he said believers were wide open, he called them. So they recruited themselves because they might just be like, I, I was asking for help this morning about such and such, and now I'm talking to you. And so then they'd be like, boom, we got them. And then thinkers, they would bring in different academics and things like that. And that's what they would stress. Oh, we had like, I don't know, Noam Chomsky speaking last week at our church or something like that, right? And um, and then for feelers, they would stress that they were a family 
and about the well-being and things like that. So have you ever seen people do that? So you talked about focusing on sort of the pain points, but have you seen people pulled in because of their different personality traits and put into different positions? Actually, I have. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, I don't know if you want the denomination, but it was with the uh, Disciples of Christ. And it was about their professional standing. Mm. And as to how, you know, they were recruited into um, the the larger mix of people. And I think it was with the expectation that they had this large following of people that they could bring in. Because this was post, not post, this was pre, years and years pre uh, social media, you know. So, okay. yeah, it was all word of mouth, right? Okay. But yeah, I have seen that in, mm-hmm. in full effect. And you talked about being in the in crowd. And so since you were in leadership, what did that feel like? Like being a leader in a like religious group? So I've, I've, I've had two terms. Okay. <laughs> and the first was in that church, the Disciples of Christ that I was yeah. just speaking of. Okay. And... Um, um, I want to say perhaps back in the eighties. Okay. And, um, it was disheartening mm. to, to go. Cause this was, again, this was like at my infancy mm. uh, and mm-hmm. back in finding a way uh, and my sister and I, we were looking, you know, like really searching for uh, a place where we could go to get that nourishment, that um, spiritual upliftment. And um, being in a leadership position, because I was elevated to, I don't know, I think it was the president of the board or something like that. And uh, it was all about money. Yeah, it was uh, all about bringing in the money and i believe that was why their focus was on the um the more business like minded successful business people so that they uh should be right more um financially uh able to really pour money into the church and uh i, I was i was hmm I was saddened, my heart ached because it wasn't about what I thought the church mm-hmm. main focus should be, you know, um, and that would be to help people along their path. But, and, and you know, when you're serving and, and you're more concerned with how much money can be brought in, I think, we're, you know, they were missing the point. So I resigned and, and left that, that particular church, you know? Yeah, yeah. How do you think um, involvement in these type of groups impacts Black women? (laughs) Um, I believe that Black women because of our conditioning through the mm. years and the generations, 
have come to accept that the church is a place where we're going to find our connection to who we are. Mm. That the church is going to be our heart. Mm. And that we do everything that we're told to do in hopes that once we leave this physical world, we'll get to this diamond in the sky, this heaven. You know, when you go into a church, almost any church, almost any, there's going to be a higher percentage of women, particularly in the black churches. I'm not sure about the other races and cultures, but in the black neighborhoods, it's going to be 90 to 95% women. And there's a lot of abuse that goes on because I'm not sure those four categories that you gave, yeah. I'm not sure where this population would fit, but I know just like I was telling you about the author, there are women that insist they got to go to church every Sunday. Right. Because we have thinkers, feelers, doers, but well, believers Maybe but there's yeah. something about also, but there's a difference between believing and obligation. Mm -hmm. So we need another category. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think we, when it we, comes to we us as an obligation. Yeah. Yeah. And we, you know, and that's why there's so much abuse. You're talking about domestic violence uh, relationships, but there's abuse going on right there in the church, you know? right there in the church and, and women. So within, um, within the work that I'm doing with my book, the A's have it. Yes. I have a clubhouse group and we meet Monday through Friday for 90 minutes. And that keeps coming up or has come up several times where young, young people have been abused in these church settings, right? But yet they still going, you know, and I'd be like, wow. <laughs> yeah. We've yeah. not been given permission that it's okay not to attend. Abused by the people in charge. Yes. Yes. Primarily. Yes. Keep going. The head people of the church. Yes. The pastors, the reverends, the ministers. So I remember when I left um, Hillside and I went to Dr. Barber because I was serving in all these multitude of positions at the yeah. church, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I gave her my letter of resignation and she looked at me and she says, daughter, you've graduated. You know, it was so heartfelt and she was into my heart and I didn't quite understand it right then. You know, it's like things that you hear when you're coming up that your parents tell you and you'd be like, I don't know what that is. And you realize and you understand it more and more as you mature, right? Yeah. 
So I got what Dr. Barbara said. And it's one of my beliefs. We're not required to keep going to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. We get to a place where we know our nature, our God nature. And it's at that point that we can go and help others versus going back week after week after week after week for these sermons. And most of them are repeated from the same scripture wow. year in and year out. Wow. I can pick up my Bible right now and show you, you know, that I got these same scriptures throughout different sermons, different churches, different people delivering the message, but there, there's a lot that are not highlighted. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. yeah. And I, and how, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and I think that's part of what's taught in uh, the theology schools as well that they give you the specific, because they know people are, you know, people are want more money. They want more love. They feel separated. They feel separated from themselves and all these things. So how long were you at Hillside before you resigned? Oh, probably about 15 years, maybe. Wow. Okay. You know, and I have spent at least five or so in uh, leadership or management. But you know, one of the things, even before I got so deeply involved in the, the leadership was I would ask the question, you know, people come here and we have these wide variety of just phenomenal speakers and teachers. But there are people that's been sitting up here for 30 and 35 years and their life hasn't changed. Why is that? Hmm. When we apply the lessons, perhaps we can be graduated. You know what I'm saying? Maybe we reach that point of graduation. I had never heard that term used before in my life. What, I mean, I know my time there was phenomenal and I definitely like applied what I had the capacity to apply at that time. And then when it was time for me to do something else, I did something else. But what do you think it is? why were some people there 35 years in their life? Do you think it was the obligation? Do you, what do you think? Do you think the messages needed to be changed? Like, what do you think? I think that the core issue is not knowing your true self-worth, not loving you at a soul and spiritual level. And one of the reasons, but this was not the case with Hillside, but most of the religions teach you that, you know, God is up there somewhere out, outside of you. So you never internalize right. your value, right? Just yeah. never, ever. Yeah. Even though that was not taught at Hill, um, that was not the case for Hillside. Right. 
and 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 new thought was more you know that god does live within you like that right right but there we never overcame that barrier where people where we could touch on your worthy and complete within yourself and do like an introductory class or something you know to break that that chain or that glue that that's cemented that old time thinking that old time religion you know yeah yeah because most of us I mean unless they were born like well after we left we still had that old time thinking we and so even if you are resisting it you're still in resistance mm -hmm. so it's still persisting <laughs> exactly so it's almost like there needs to be like rituals to embodied somatic things to actually get that stuff out of your body and it needs to be ongoing yeah and that's where i think that culty comes in ah. yeah because as long as we're uh, participating in a place of not fully being um aware of how these dynamics work and yeah. how this religion was given to us and that there was a, a separate spiritual practice that we honored in the motherland and that it has part. nothing to do it it looks nothing like what we're going through here that part yeah yeah that and part. so it has to be cults and that's why you got all these different denominations you know like you just think mm. of something new and you you got a different denomination you think mm. of and here come a new one you know so um mm. yeah. yeah but it's not addressing the deep trauma of being separated from who and what we are at our core indeed i got it yeah um want to hear about what you're doing now like since you you know since that time like what are you doing now that you want to share well thank you thank you thank you for that so I'm learned in a very a wide variety of, of uh, subjects and modalities and I take my skill set out into the community and help people to understand their value sandy's way <laughs> you know like the gangster way right and um so with that i i, I still am doing a radio program I, i'm into my ninth year i write daily inspirationals that are really just recirculating on uh, the web uh, around the world I experiment with various modalities that I'm introduced to as far as health and wellness go. I then share that with the world. I'm a part of a group out of uh, India uh, with urine therapy. Um, I have been doing therapy, urine therapy, urine, urine. Urine, 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 like in pee. Yes. Yeah, that's what it said on the thing. Okay, I just want to make sure. <laughs> okay. I'm like, anyway. I tell you, see, look, we we we've been taught just like this religion thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a waste. 
but our urine contains our unique signature in sure. the urine. Absolutely. So we're just feeding it back in. Absolutely. It contains stem cells. Um, you can apply it on the skin, on your hair, just, you know, everywhere. And it re, I don't know, re-everything, re-re-rekindle, re-recycle, re-energize, restores, all of whatever it is that you stand in need of because it's our signature. Okay. So, you know, that, that deletes the need for chemicals and things like that. Wow. Okay. And um, so, yeah, I, look, I want to try it, you know, let me know if it really works. And then, you know, so I documented it on my, on my uh, YouTube channel. So I've actually done my longest was a 45 day urine fast, urine and water. And what I came to find out was at the close to the end of this time frame. I felt more connected to every living thing than in any religion I'd ever gone through, experienced, or been a part of. There was no um, traffic that bothered me or upset me. I had no road rage. I wanted to embrace everything, the trees, to the animals, to every person. Wow. I feel it's the most it's it's the most valuable path to spirituality. Connecting to the self. Yes. Literally. Yes. Yes, the most powerful. Wow. Um and so now what I'm doing is I've just recently been offered and I accepted an opportunity to do my own TV program called the Sandy Rogers show. And it's such a fast moving opportunity that I'm putting together the guests, the team, the production staff and, and all of like that. So uh, I'm really, really excited. We're going to do our uh, shooting on the uh, 27th of August. The offer was extended to me the first part of August. So like it's moving so Very fast. soon. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm excited. You should be. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Congrats. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. And so how can because I'm going to tell you right now, because you have these things happening right now, what I'm going to do is actually I'm going to release this as a podcast on my okay. podcast channel no okay. visuals just the podcast that way people will be able to like tap in because you know books take forever so by next year who knows what you'll be doing by next right, year right. I don't <laughs> even know like the Sandy show like I don't even know so, don't so I'm gonna release this as a podcast so that people can get it right away so how can people get in touch with you you can find me on social media, um, Instagram at Rev Sandy Rogers, uh, Facebook Sandy Rogers 37, I believe, and um, Linktree. Yes. So it's Linktree Sandy Rogers. Okay. Um, on Amazon, I have a, and I can send you the links for these different uh, ones too. Um, I have an author's page on Amazon. I have 20 plus 
titles on there. And uh, some of the eBooks are really, you'll love them. Um, you'll love all everything, but <laughs> uh, let's see what else. Uh, email Sandy at srauthenticascension.com. And the website is the same, srauthenticascension.com. And so on the website, you'll find um, the various uh, social media links there, and you'll find the books. You'll find uh, more about what I'm doing with the energy practice, okay. uh, because I believe you are a Reiki master too, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. So that, um, those, those practices are listed on the website as well. So that's probably the best way. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. 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 And are there any words that you want to leave folks with after this wonderful conversation? Yes. Connect with you. Hmm. Connect and know beyond a doubt the real, authentic you. Have quiet moments where you can be in that stillness, allowing yourself to not be inundated with all of these thoughts from social media and TV and other people get to know you. That's where your power is. And once you get to know your true self, then you're not dependent upon other people to yay or nay you, to pat you on the back. And that's where your uh, appreciation comes from. When you get to know the real you, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like you walk around with a whole different consciousness about your self-worth, your self-value, and you have this tremendous amount of self-love. Mm, thank you. Yes, you're welcome. Thank yes. you very much, Sandy. <laughs> it is my honor. This was so good. All right, y'all, you heard it. Go to the website, go to Amazon, buy the books, buy all the things, watch the TV show, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much.